0: This is an Irish independent podcast.
2: Hello and welcome to The Left Wing. I'm Sinead Kassan. Well, the Ireland under 20s have a chance to make history tomorrow the Grand Slam winners play France in the World Rugby Under-20 Championship Final in Cape Town and to even get to this stage of the tournament has been some achievement for this team with the tragedies of recent weeks. Now also Ireland captain Johnny Sexton was before a disciplinary hearing today to answer a complaint of misconduct towards match officials directly after Leinster's Heineken Cup Final nearly two months ago. Uh, Rory O'Connor is in Cape Town for us for the Under-20s World Final tomorrow. We'll get to that in a moment but Johnny Sexton's huge disciplinary hearing is on today, but is it looking like it might not be until tomorrow before we get an outcome?
1: Yeah, Sinead, we're we're awaiting clarity, but the word on the street is that they're going to deliberate on it. So the hearing will draw to a close today and then the three-man judicial panel will then take their findings away or whatever they've heard away and will ruminate on it. And it could... Whether it's tomorrow, whether it's uh which will be Friday, or whether they'll take the weekend to kind of um think about their decision, talk about their decision, assess all the evidence that they've heard today. Um, it may rumble on. I mean, they've left Johnny Sexton waiting for an awful long time. I mean, how long ago does that La Rochelle game feel now? It's it was the twentieth of May. Um, he's you know it looked like for a while he was going to escape any sanction we were all maybe focused on the wrong thing with the halftime tunnel bust up um instead it's this um post-match exchanges with the referees that we're talking about and certainly it does uh sound like they're taking it very seriously um i think from sexton's point of view it, the IRFU would feel there's a, a lack of evidence i think sexton has owned up to the fact that maybe he should not have gone onto the pitch and remonstrated with them but in terms of what um was said i don't think there's any video or or audio recordings of that there's really just videos from afar of of sex and remonstrating with the officials um and whether that's enough to 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 hand him a ban that could potentially end his career maybe rule him out of a world cup game or two or maybe rule him out of of some of the warm-up games that's what we're all waiting to hear but certainly that the longer this goes on the more worried the IRFU and the irish setup will be because um you know, I think if, if it was going to be straightforward, it would have been over by now. It started at nine o'clock this morning. You know, it's it's I know the podcast can date very quickly, but it has rumbled on. I believe they're still in session or they, if they if they finished, it's only very recently. So it's a long day. It must be a lot of evidence. And you just wonder that how uh, it could take this long. How much water they been talking about all day. What points of order they're going am Hopefully we'll get the written judgment of some stage to clarify all of that. But certainly it's been taken very, very seriously and it could have very serious implications on Ireland's World Cup.
2: Yeah, we were talking before we hopped on this podcast about, you know, other similar cases and them taking so long and jo- uh, Sean O'Brien's one from the 2015 uh, Rugby World Cup uh, that went on for seven hours. It was kind of nine o'clock that night before that um, outcome came out. So that's the only other kind of long one I can think of. And, I, I you know, this one, look, it's a serious matter and... But overall, it's been hard to take a read on this because it has dragged on for so long, considering the final was nearly two months ago.
1: Yeah, and the way it's rumbled on, the way it's come out, I suppose, because, you know, it kind of went quiet for a while and suddenly it appeared in, a, in an Afrikaner's newspaper that Sexton had said something to Jacob Piper. They went some detail about that and then suddenly the City AM, the kind of fairly obscure newspaper in London, um, certainly in rugby terms, you know, I wouldn't have come across a City AM journalist at any of the Lions tours or World Cups that I've covered. I would know a lot of the English press back, and suddenly it came out of left field um, through that channel with video clips and kind of very dire warnings about how this could end Johnny Sachs in the career and, and... uh, how there's been a letter sent to a misconduct letter to Sexton. And I believe Sexton acknowledged that letter and acknowledged that he had overstepped the mark within his responses to that letter. And I think it was kind of encouraged to do so in the kind of expectation that it might go away. But but it hasn't. It's, it's gone further and further and further um and, and yeah, I mean that sex that Johnny sorry that Sean O'Brien hearing did take a lot I mean, I have vivid memories of waiting for for that release because it was so important in, you know Ireland had already lost four players that week was, he was the fifth uh for the quarter final but at least they got to it within a couple of days of the game. I mean, I just don't understand how the processes aren't in place to to, to nip this in the bud quite quickly. you know if if a serious case has to be answered for and if Sexton did over after to mark, fair enough. Maybe he does. He does deserve a ban. We'll find out that at, that at the in in the heel of the hunt. But really, to leave him stewing for this long, to leave his family, the implications on his career—you know—the the questions hanging over everything—is very unfair. You know, whether you like him or not, I think they could have done this much quicker. And even like if if they do finish this hearing today and then leave him stewing for another three four days before they tell him what's happened, it's it's a lot of uncertainty, and it, I, I I don't think he deserves that.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the players back in camp this week, and I think I uh, so Ian Hen- or Ian Henderson did say that you know he's training as normal out in the high performance centre, but he can imagine that it must be a really stressful time for them. You know, not long to go until the first uh, World Cup warm up game, and it's kind of hanging over the squad as a whole as well.
1: Yeah and I'm sure like they're not talking about it thinking about it every day but when Sexton and you know I think the under 20s are a good example of this when they're on the pitch when they're going through their processes and are focused they can easily park whatever's going on outside but I'm sure in this quiet moments Johnny Sexton is quite concerned about this I'm like if he's been in there all day for a hearing I'm sure a lot of prep has gone into it so that's a lot of mental focus that's gone into Just preparing his case, making sure that he has all of his ducks in a row, working with his legal team. You know, it's just energy that's being spent elsewhere. Look, if he gets cleared of a ban or if he misses one warm-up game, I don't think it's going to feed into anything to do with the World Cup. I'm sure he can regather, um, whatever you know, all of his composure and experience and channel it towards performing in a couple of weeks' time or a couple of months' time. You know, it's a lot of long way to go yet. But where it comes into being a problem is if he if he does pick up a ban, you know if it's two games, which is probably my expectation going into this. Although what I'm hearing is that maybe things, you know, it may be more serious. But if it's two games, then you know that's recoverable. I know he hasn't played since March, but it allows him to play against Samoa. The World Cup is kind in that way. You play Romania, maybe come off the bench against Tonga, then he starts against South Africa, start against Scotland. That's that's okay. He's done his bank of work. He's had a long rest. I mean, Sexton doesn't necessarily need to play every game anyway. But if it drips into someone asked me the question earlier on, like at what point do you have to consider whether to pick him or not if he's banned for the first two three games of the World Cup? You know, if he's available for the South Africa game, you know, look, this is all speculation, and, and we may not ever get to this. But it, I think this is the stuff that Andy Farrell it has to occupy his thoughts to some degree. Now we know he loves adversity, that he relishes this stuff, and he'll he'll brush it off, and and they all will. But you know, he's the captain. He's he's the you know most influential player in the group he's still a very important player on the pitch it's the one area uh where they lack experience outside of him really you know if they went to the world cup without him it would be very difficult for ireland to to achieve their goals i think that's fairly straightforward to, to understand so um it's big you know it's it's a big thing that's kind of looming in the background and it's july and it doesn't feel like rugby season even though the twenties are going on but like you know what happens over the next 36 or sorry uh, 20, 48 hours 72 hours We'll have a major ramification on what happens in September potentially.
2: Yeah, and we would, we'll wait to see what that judgment will be. Um, as I mentioned at the top, you are in Cape Town. Is this second time in seven weeks for you?
1: Second time, yeah. It doesn't feel like I've been away, and the weather's the weather's about as nice as it was when Munster were here. I've missed a month of rain, I think, in between the two the two trips. But it's beautiful here today. It's about twenty five degrees. The sun is shining. And I'm just I just got in this afternoon. It's a whistle top tour. We made the decision earlier in the week to come over and cover the World Cup final. I think we're the only ones here. And um, I spent a little bit of time in camp a little bit earlier on to get a sense of what was going on. And yeah, how are they, Rory? I would say there's a quiet optimism about what they've done. Like, you know, we probably are all speculating from the outside about how difficult it's been because of the, you know, the, the St. Michael's connection with the deaths of Andrew O'Donnell and Max Wall, with the fact that um, Greg Oliver, the father of uh, Jack Oliver, the, the scrum half, died in a tragic accident here. What is it about? two weeks ago or a week a week and a half two weeks ago now and how they kind of had to manage through that how he, he you know they, they considered going home and I chatted to Henry McArlane about that and how at one stage last week they thought they might not play against Fiji there's been a lot going on but as as I mentioned earlier I believe their focus within their sessions and their focus within their matches has kind of got them through that difficult patch and look they've enjoyed being here they've, they're enjoying being at, 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 the, at this level and let's hear from Henry McEarlane now and I started by asking him how he's feeling about playing for Ireland in a World Cup on Friday.
0: We're all very excited as a squad, you know, but I think generally we're quite good at staying game, game. Like, uh, there's no easy game, so we're just taking this as another game, uh, another, you know, foothold and getting to the, where we want to be, the world champion. So uh, we're just focusing on doing our job and trying not to read too much into the hype. How hard is that? Um, it's quite hard. The you know, coaches do a good job uh not letting us get ahead of ourselves and if they hear anything they kinda you know humble us again. But generally uh the squad's quite good just knowing not to listen to excess noise like.
1: Having been through the Grand Slam experience and preparing for that final game, final game as well, it must give you a good it must be a good experience that you can fall back on this week.
0: Yeah it is. You know, uh in the World Cup there's different teams and then Six Nations obviously and they play different brand of rugby so somehow like somewhat it's easier playing against like, the likes of England once you've played them before. Same with France like we have a few good insights of how they play, what they like to do since playing them at Musgrave in that final game or in one of those games mm-hmm. so uh, you know it is it definitely does give us a bit of a confidence boost knowing that we have
1: done it before. And you've played. The, I know France have changed a little bit since then. I'm sure you, you guys have changed as well. But you have played France. You've beaten France in, in court. They're a very, very good side. But you know that if you get things right yourselves, that you can cause them problems as well. Yeah, no, we have a belief that
0: if we get, if all of us are firing hundred percent, we can beat anyone. You know, France have got a few new bodies in, and we've we're quite we're relatively unchanged. And but well, we don't we don't really care who they have. We're, what any other team has, we're just
1: focused on performing aspects. During this tournament, you've had moments of adversity on the pitch. You've had moments of adversity off the pitch. On the pitch, first, you've had to ride out a couple of storms, but you you seem to be able to retain a collective belief within games. Though even when things are going against you, like South after the onslaught last the other day. What do you think gives you that? Is, is it just the fact that you've been together f- for so long that you've had such a good year or is it the individuals within the team, the leaders that you have? Can you maybe just give us an insight of who's kind of making you know, that so strong within the team that when things are going against you, you're able to turn around in your own favour?
0: Uh, I think it's that we're very close in the team, mm. you know, in general. Uh, it's not just the rugby that's keeping us together, we generally our just mates, yeah. you know, going out into town or playing pool with each other, you know, we're always... Uh, Knocking around a province, and even a not a province, we're always linking up with the Connacht lads or Ulster lads or whoever it may be. So, I think it's just the collective friendship we have as a group. I think we're probably the closest
1: team there is in the competition. And obviously, the group has been touched by tragedy, really incredibly sad things have happened around you, and you've had to manage your way through that. Who's kind of led that? How have you guys managed to kind of keep? You know, mark what you've had to mark but also stay tuned on your performances and, and be able to perform through an incredibly difficult time yeah no it's
0: horribly sad what happened with uh, Jack and his family and um, the whole team was was tough for everyone but you know Jack Jack was meant to play that game and you know he decided not to in the end which is we all back that decision but uh, he wanted he wanted to play that game and he wanted us to play that game because we had the we were we were considering maybe not playing the mm. game but he said no definitely and his, and his mother as well said keep our heads up and go after the trophy so
1: yeah it is
0: it's definitely another uh, motivating factor you know it's just so sad but he wanted it and yeah. uh, that's
1: another strength for our ball for motivation Finally, you mentioned staying on an even keel, process focused, all the things that you have to do as a as an elite rugby player going into a big final. But you also, I, I'm sure, have to get excited about this as well. I'm sure you're aware that there's massive support coming from back home through social media. You know, those people might fly out today. You are coming out to see the game as well. It's like it is a once. You know, it's a big occasion for all of you to enjoy. As well. you have know, you got to embrace that to some degree while not letting it overwhelm you as well.
0: No, we're all. Like yeah, uh, we're moment focused, but we're all buzzing in here, yeah, and we're ready to go for this final, you know, uh looking forward to the big crowd, and you no know, we are we are definitely excited
2: for this game, well, it sounds like they're up for us anyway,
1: absolutely i yeah. as I said, there's a quiet confidence about them, you can you hear from his voice that he there's a steely determination they're not you know, the experience of playing in a Grand Slam game, of being through that campaign in the spring will definitely stand to them. The fact that they've beaten France already, albeit it does look in this tournament like France have improved um, since that game. So there's there's a belief there. There's a knowledge that, you know, he talks about how tight they are in a group, how he believes that they are the tightest group in this tournament. um, And what they've been through helps bring them together, you know, in a very sad way. But, you know, there's a common cause or a common bond. I don't. I don't need to necessarily are using it as motivational. Although they did talk after the game about bringing something tangible back to Jack Oliver after he lost so much here. But there's um, there's a tightness you can tell it around the place. And and there's a as I say like there's there's a very strong coaching group there with a lot of experience. I mean Richie Murphy. Was involved in a lot of big. I know you're writing about him this week was He's been a lot involved in an awful lot of games for the Irish senior team for Leinster over the years. And he'll have drawn from all the coaches he's worked with: Joe Smith, Andy Farrell, Simon and East to be all these people that he's worked with over the years. He he, he will just take little bits from all of those and he's channeling it into it. So yeah, there's a realism about how good France are, but there's also a realism about how good they are. And if and there's a sense that if they get things right, they can definitely. Take the, a step, go a step further than the team did in 2016, which was a really talented team. But I think mean, there's a sense today that this, this, not within the squad, but from outside, I think everyone thinks that this 2023 20, uh, version is just a little bit stronger across the board.
2: Oh Yeah, no, it is very special. Uh, you mentioned Richie there. He So he made he's made one change to the team and one positional switch. Uh, James McNabney is back a blindside flanker uh, after his suspension for a high tackle earlier in the tournament. And Dimrod Mangan moves into the second row. I mean, you just look at the back row. I mean, talk about a special team with Quinn in there and Gleeson. And it's like, what a back row that is.
1: It's hard on 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 Irvine, but I think because he, he loses his place in the second row. But I think what they've done there is they've recognized. Like I think everyone's talking about Pasalo to to the the son of Henry, the Perpignan legend, who's eighteen years old. And I mean, everyone's if you have, if you have listened to anything about rugby this week, you've heard his weight. But I, I was looking at the official stats; he's one hundred forty nine kilos according to the official stats which is just enormous for a, for, a, for a young man. But I suppose that, you know, he's playing in the second row, but you can't get him into the air. You know, you can't lift him. Um, if you move the ball around the park, how mobile is he? I think that's a question Ireland would want to ask. And by picking Dermot Mangan, who has been playing in the, sec- in the back row, in the second row, you're kind of availing of the chance that they give you by picking a smaller, in terms of height, second row, not a line-out forward, but also... Adding another dynamic carrier to your pack and, and trying to work France around the pitch an awful lot. That back row has been brilliant. You know, and whether it's been Mangan or McNabney, the the, the other two, Ruan Quinn and Brian Gleason, have been exceptional. Um, I think Paddy McCarthy's been outstanding. He spoke to the media today and he, he was very impressive. He's the younger brother of Joe, um, the Ireland squad member um, who's in the World Cup camp right now. And across the board, a captain Gus McCarthy, Rona Fox has probably been the find of tournament, the tournament, a tight head. It's just a really, really good four-pack. And they've laid a lovely foundation for a pair of out of halfbacks who are really classy as well. And Fintan Gunn, who's probably the less Lesser sung of uh, of the pair, but yeah, and Prendergast, who's kind of been the, the star of the uh, star of the show through this whole season, but Gunn is a really good decision making or a good foil for Sam Prendergast, and then they've got really good centres and a really good back three. But France are, are are a threat; they're a very good side. Ireland needed a late kick to beat them in Cork. You know, a game where the momentum went against them an awful lot. And one of the things we touched on with Henry there was they're a team who can rest the momentum of games back off their opposition. They've been in difficult positions on the pitch as well as off it, and they've found ways to win, so that's something they can draw on uh, tomorrow.
2: Yeah, Um. so how do you see this going? Obviously, look, change of personnel through the years for France, but France have kind of pedigree, don't they, in this competition? It's their third successive final. They've won the previous two. They're, I suppose, favourites going into this one, really, Rory, aren't they?
1: Well, they are. I think the bookies have them at seven points, and, and what they do, like England used to do, is they treat the Six Nations... As a little bit of a development towards the World Cup, and the World Cup is is you know the important part of their season, and and, and they kind of drip fed some of their younger, more promising players through during the Six Nations, and Ireland got them second, I think. So two is one of those players who's come through later in the tournament. Not to diminish at all what Ireland achieved by beating them, but the, I I would expect them to be stronger uh, here tomorrow. I one thing that will probably work in Ireland's favor is that having played in a bit of a bog of a pitch earlier on in the, in the tournament, the Parle the lone stadium in in cape town is is a soccer stadium it's it's where the local football team play and the pitch is very very good now there are two games on beforehand but as i said the sun is shining the weather's good here and it's not it's not forecast to be bad tomorrow so that will hopefully mean the pitch holds up it'll be a fast track and that dynamic dynamic forward pack that Ireland have picked that really good backline that they can call on all will kind of that plays into their hands whereas the boggy or heavier pitch earlier in the tournament the French size, their ability to kind of drag it into, a, into an arm wrestle, that mall. You know, Ireland, they're not bad in the Type 5. It's a very big Irish pack, but there's there's a number of athletes in that French side who, who are just phenomenal. And I think they would, they would like that slow track. They need to play a bit of a control game. They don't want to get into it. You know, start flinging around, play into that. I mean, it, you, you kind of get into a bit of cliche, but there's a reason that, that they're cliches. France will like a bit more of a broken style of game, get their hands going, break things up. But I do think they have the capacity to win this game if they play to their best. But Ireland, you know, have a, have shown throughout this term a resilience within games that even when it's going against them, they hang in there, and then when the chance comes, they strike, and they have that finals experience. What they've been through during this three or four week window here will stand to them as well they may be tired both teams have you know played against good teams it's been a fairly intense tournament it's a game every five days so you know the the squad management has been important but as i said there's a quiet confidence within this irish team that they can get the job done albeit with a knowledge that you know it, it will come down to a very you know t- fine margins France has put up big scores in this tournament you know they put 50 on england in the semi-final they beat the you know not a great um, junior All Blacks team But they still beat them You know They beat Wales um, I think Georgia Was their other opponent it's, it, 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 They've been very impressive On their way But so so have Ireland There's the two best teams In the world at, at this age group And it's going to be Very very tight Ireland can win France can equally win It's, it's very close to call I think if if things go their way, France probably ha- have the edge, but I certainly, by no means, would I rule out this Irish team pulling off something that no Irish team has done before by winning the under-20 World Championships tomorrow.
2: Now oh, it would be some achievement, uh, Rory. Thanks a million for that. We will be back with a podcast after the final uh, tomorrow night, so keep an eye on your feeds for that one. But for now, thanks for listening.
0: This is an Irish Independent podcast.